Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book about Louisiana. <sighs> Why is that? Pause. Nick. Pause for reaction. Yep. To oh, help me. Yeah. Oh, because <sighs> uh, Louisiana finally. Well, two reasons. Uh, calm down, Louisiana fans. Mm. Um, one, because it's uh, we have to do all fifty states um, yep. over the next fifty years. We've yep. locked ourselves in. So We're that doing commi- one per into year. That commitment. Yeah, one per year. <laughs> um, and of course, the other reason, because I'm sure there's some sort of loose connection. Is that what you were going to say to do this at this time? Yeah. Well, to do Louisiana now. Um, Louisiana is its birthday is, um, April 30th, which is this coming <laughs> Saturday. Celebrates more birthdays than Happy any other show. Birthday, <laughs> Happy Louisiana. birthday, Louisiana. Yep. It became a, it became a state, wow. um, back in, in, uh, the year 1812. Do you guys remember where you were when Louisiana became a state? Yeah. I'll never forget. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, like a, a five guys that's just kind of north right. of um of Downer in Milwaukee mm. and we all know um, it. I was just hanging out there I was e- sipping a big old milkshake it was kind of too big of a milkshake right yeah. but I loved it yeah, I think they're also celebrating their uh, birthday soon I five think guys, too yeah so obviously yes. we'll do a five guys episode soon that would be amazing we should do it from a five guys can we <laughs> well okay we eat five guys you guys check it out. Um, Joe, who Does wrote your book? Anybody know what Five Dang Guys it. is? Dang it, Joe! <laughs> a, a woman wrote your book. If it had been a, a man wrote your book, it would have been you, me, Nick, and then my male author it and your male author. Five we do a guys, lot of male. Anne Rice. How dare and you? And help me are two you, high man. school <laughs> English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, my name's Joe Holshu. I brought a book by a girl, as Ian has pointed out this week. It's a book about vampires. It's also a book about Louisiana. Um, Nick, I'm a high school English teacher, and if you are looking for a book about Louisiana, I think you should read the vampire book that started it all. That isn't called Dracula. Uh-huh. Um, Interview with a Vampire, written by Anne Rice. Three. 50 pages long do you think okay her name she's named after a grain what are yep, some other her, good la- her last name after a grain what are some other good last names that are grains mm, this feels like, like the orphan game i don't think you could be named wheat that doesn't really why not sorghum mr sorghum mr and mrs right. sorghum rye rye would be a cool like rye would be awesome yeah. name rye. there's a lot of good grain names even mm. just grain nick grain yeah. Ooh. Yeah, the yeah. Grain. You sound like a Ooh, woodworker. Grain. Yep. Yep. Right. Well, I would have to be a woodworker with mm-hmm. that kind of name. Howdy, y'all. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a high school English teacher, and this week I brought a book of mine for years. It's called Confederacy of Dunces. It's written by Nolan's own John Kennedy Toole, and it won the 1981 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. One of five, four ever books to win posthumous Pulitzer Prizes. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> John Kennedy too. Also, his last name is a thing. Do you guys ever wish that your last name was a noun? Ooh, <laughs> every day. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, but you guys or know. A you, verb. Let's get into let's get into the multiverse here. You know mm-hmm. that oh. multiverse theory states that any possible reality, any imaginable reality, is possible. So, of in course, some universe, that. we are named after things like toilets. There is a Nick Grain. Right. Yeah, or Nick there is Hammer. a person. Yeah. Alternatively, in other alternate universes, <laughs> there are languages where Holshoe is a is a like a smelly kind of cheese or something. Or the coolest word in the English language. Like everyone oh. hears it and they're just like, wow, that's amazing. That's Ian, beautiful. are you excited for okay. the multiverse movie? Are you are, did you just watch the multiverse trailer? Uh I didn't <laughs> see it. No. I kind of I've, uh, I've, what, what did Gwyneth Paltrow say about her relationship with that guy? I've consciously uncoupled from the, the Marvel cause I don't have enough. Ian, I don't know if you'd know this and I don't know why you're going to ask me why. And I why? don't know, mm-hmm. but you, whenever I see Benedict Cumberbatch, I associate him with you and I don't oh, know why. I, I don't know if that's because that. like when Sherlock came out, we used yeah. to talk about it or something or. True. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, he's incredibly 
attractive and intelligent okay. and you know, lanky. No, I, I think angular. I, think I really kind of annoying. Peculiar. I don't know how I feel. <laughs> kind of looks actually. like an alien, but like in a weirdly way that works. My last name sounds like something you would say when you were drunk and you're trying to tell the driver your address. Oh, that's true. Mm. Terrible last names. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> Louisiana. Let's do it, I guess. Welcome, Lit Heads, to You Don't Know Lit. <laughs> have you guys ever been to Louisiana? I have, yes. I've been to I, the beautiful city of Baton Rouge. Oh, really? Or Baton Rouge, as the locals don't like it. They don't like it. Did they, did they beat no, they you don't and like send that. you out of the city because you kept calling it Baton Rouge? <laughs> With batons, yeah. <laughs> Strange, you know, and it's I right told through them the it was just, it, Hey, this isn't helping your case! <laughs> Uh, I, I went, I, I went once and I had an amazing muffaletta. Muffaletta? What is that? That's a sandwich. It's a hot sandwich and it's got like a, like an olive tapenade and it's got like, Ooh. whoa. Now what is that? A tapenade? It's just, it's just olive. It's uh, like, is, is it olives. always olives? Because it could be other things too, I think. I, I do think, think you probably olives. have, you can probably have like a, like a, uh, a tapenade made out of artichoke hearts. I bet you that'd be nice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you just make that up? Yeah, I just, I was thinking Let's not about, talk about books today. <laughs> really Let's hungry. just talk food and Cumberbatch all um, the way down. You guys, seriously, Litheads, Litheads, listen to me, please. Listen. Nick is out of the room, so talking. we can talk seriously to each other. If you've ever had a muffle, if you've never had a muffaletta, go leave your headphones in, run, run. Don't walk to the nearest New Orleans. No, <laughs> five guys. The, the nearest five guys. You have to check out five guys. Five guys is now selling muffalettes. It will blow your mind. <laughs> Welcome, litheads, to you to know lit, a weekly or as we call it, strongly podcast, Strong where every week I pick a theme, and two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe, both bring a book to battle it out. Of course, because we live in a ever so polarizing world. Mm-hmm. We do have some rules, of course, to keep Ian and Joe on track, as I'm sure you're wondering. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Okay. Let's not ruin shit today. All right. Okay. Rule okay. number two, omit needless words, Joseph. Omit needless words, yeah. Joe. Um, well, you, let's I'm, not ruin I, things I, today. I'm keeping it tight today. I, I, I have a, a tight page of notes. I have like four things to say about my book. I am going to omit as many okay. words. Uh, rule number three, only winning matters. He was doing a thing. Um, and uh, that's, that's from Ben. And from I hated Vincent. it from Vince Lombardi. Um, of course, Litheads, we also have our shadow rules, which are, Mm -hmm. um, go to the university of Tulane, um, fail as a writer and then get your mother to deliver the manuscript after you die. That's pretty good. That's how I plan on publishing all of my books. Um, my mother after I die. Good. Is, do you, is your mother persistent? Because you, she's got to be, you got to have a persistent mother. If you've got a mother who's a pushover. Oh God, my mother is nothing but persistent. <laughs> well, good. Then, you <laughs> yeah. know what? You're, I would say route, it's her defining characteristic. <laughs> your route to, to, to st- superstardom is, is assured because you need a persistent mother to follow this route to. Uh, Ian, uh, Joseph, um, I'd like to hear 30 second uh, synopsis of your book so I can decide who should go first. Joseph, do you want to start us off? I would love to. Nick, this week I have brought you a classic combination. Move over peanut butter and jelly. Move over cookies and creams. I have brought vampires and the great state of Louisiana. Nothing says vampire like that Cajun twang. And um, if if Dracula's the father of the vampire novel, Anne Rice might be the mother of what vampires have become. If you Mm, like the Lost Boys, Blade, Buffy the Vampire, Vampire Slayer and Nita Blake Vampire Diaries Twilight. This book, uh, well, like you have Anne rights to thank or blame. Joe, um, Uh uh-huh. What is, what is, uh, 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 sound like in Louisiana drawl? Yeah. yeah, uh, I don't, you know, this whole week I've been trying to like get the Louisiana drawl in my head, you know, cause like, you know, like if you do the Georgia, you're like Savannah, right? Like all right. that. But Louisiana, but isn't that I can't the best one? get. Like I just can't get Louisiana. Can you guys? It's more short and poppy, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not it's an got, expert. It's got on, kind of a little bit more twang. olive top and on it. Um, I think yeah, that maybe it's got some that maybe some grain of, to it. Um, Louisiana is not like simple. It's got a lot of different influences. Wow. Do you think we're going to learn about some of those today? I bet we are. Mm -hmm. I bet we're not. uh, No, seriously. (laughs) I have a whole section which says make Nick happy by talking about Louisiana. These are the misadventures of Ignatius P. Riley, a great oaf 
With a malfunctioning pyloric valve, an overstuffed vocabulary, and a penchant for a regionally available almond-flavored soda called Dr. Nut. Ignatius is bold, disgusting, and magnetic. He forges letters, whacks people with a plastic cutlass, and steals hot dogs. I hate him, and I adore him. I can't wait to talk about a confederacy of dunces. What? <laughs> There's a guy <laughs> on Twitter that I like, and his... Um, his, his Username is Hot Dogs Ladies, and I'm pretty sure it's a reference to this book, Ian. Uh, can, does Ignatius P. Riley uh, uh, offer ladies hot dogs at any point in this book? Uh, there is a part where he goes to an art show and um, he writes, uh, his, he works for a hot dog company called Paradise Hot Dogs, and he writes a sign that says 12 inches of paradise. And he wheels nice. the sign, and he doesn't realize that this is extremely su- uh, suggestive. He wheels right. his car through and they all get like, ooh. So mm-hmm. possibly could well be. Yep. Hot dogs, ladies. Well, let's start with that, Ian. Take <laughs> us away. <laughs> Tell us about your 12 inch hot dog surprise. Um, um, what is what is your book about? I'm just looking at the cover and it's like a cartoon it's, it's of a great. duck. And a, it's some uh, it looks like an like if Mario was a real person. He's got a duck on his <laughs> but, head. Uh, but then cartoonized. It looks like if Mario was real and then drawn. <laughs> there is not much reality. In this novel, it is it is drawn in okay. bo- in, in broad broad strokes, uh, bold lines. Um, do you remember? We've talked about this a couple of times. Uh, the idea of or, or the the the, the subgenre of the picaresque novel. I'm sure you do. Mm. I'll, I'll just remind you, but I, this is yeah. insulting because you remember so clearly what I'm about to say, For which is sure. that the picaresque novel is uh, generally focused around a single kind well, of it's illustrated, interesting character. Um, it's definitely illustrated, um, whether that's with <laughs> word pictures or with picture pictures. Um, the picaresque right. novel is is kind of built around um, uh, the, the misadventures of a single kind of interesting character. So in this novel, Ignatius P. Riley is our central character. There are other characters. I'll talk about them. But he's the the, the world revolves around him. Um, his mom in the beginning of the story, his mom crashes their car and she gets sued for fifteen hundred dollars. And so she says, you've got to go to work, Ignatius, because he doesn't work. And he is bad at work, at jobs. Ignatius is not good at jobs. And various things happen to him. He works um, in a pants factory called Levy Pants. Uh, he drives a uh, hot dog cart around the city. And uh, as yeah, can we discussed, go back to Pants Factory? <laughs> yeah, w- w- Levy, Levy Pants. Are you, are you mispronouncing Levi, Ian? No. Does he work nope. for Levi's? No, I think, it, I think it's a pun what on Levi. What does he do there? Well, he's hired to be a filer, but is, in, okay. to file things in the course of his work, he mostly just burns the files, grows some bean plants, and also tries to organize a revolt in the factory workers and um, and then also forges a letter, um, which ends up getting his boss in the, the getting the owner in a bunch of trouble. Um, he he basically like his M.O. is to please himself and he gradually alienates everyone in his life except for his worst enemy. And Ooh, I, I really can't Nemesis. describe like the whole, like everything that happens because there is too much bonker. Like I could start now and just plot summarize for the rest of my time and I wouldn't get through it all. There's just so much that happens, but it's organized around him and the, the, the misadventures in his life. Okay. This is just, please stop. This is chaos. This sounds mm-hmm. like chaos. So what is this book about? It is, is chaotic. This-, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. So Ignatius is a car crash. Okay. I'm going to give you two kind of mental images. The first is those viral videos of people who are like walking on the ice and they kind of like flail and stumble and somehow they keep yeah. their feet. But like, oh. you know, they're throwing out all kinds of backs and joints. Oh, and mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> the bad guys from home alone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great example. Yes. It's and wacky. Yes. Well, just well, no, keep, but it sounds like they stay on their feet. Like the bad guys fall. They, yeah. That's the mm. thing that that is. That is the difference. They do stay like these, these people on the ice. Um, they like, they manage to stay up. Right. And you're like, they, they should be, they should be like nursing a broken back by now, but they're not. Mm-hmm. That's the first image. The second image is that person, you know, you probably, you maybe know them from college. College kind of attracts these kinds of people. Maybe you met a bit of five guys. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Their life is really messed up and they just keep kind of like making bad choices, screwing things up in their lives, kind of stumbling around and yet staggering through life, 
not really succeeding, but not getting like thrown out of the university or um, arrested or um, right. Like as they're stumbling around, their momentum yes. keeps pulling them forward, right? Like it's yes. like they're falling forward all the time. Right. And, and they, they don't end up in a better situation, but they just, they, right. They don't quite fail. This character mm. doesn't move forward or backward. This sort of yeah chaotic <laughs> stasis. You don't expect them to like make good ever, but you also like, they will never fall on their face because mm. they, they have whatever kind of dumb luck it is that. So, okay. This yeah. sort of chaotic stasis is Ignatius Riley. He is clumsy and he's self-centered. He's loud. He eats way too much. Um, sometimes he goes out with a hot dog cart and he eats like four or five foot long hot dogs in the course of a, a two hour shift. <laughs> right. That's a lot. Um, yeah, as cool. you do. That's a lot of hot dogs. He shouts a ton that, you know, like the, the words that you use to describe speaking in, in, a, in a novel, like, oh, uh, give me that cheese, he said. Mm-hmm. I'm walking here. Most mm-hmm. of most of his words like that are shout or scream or screech or <laughs> yelp or oh, squawk. Gotcha. He just, Not a he, lot of said. Yeah, he turns it up to 11. Um, he's lazy. He's just nasty. He's, he belches and farts all the time. He is gross and he is a screw up. And yet, I said car crash, you just can't look <clears throat> away. There's a statue of this guy, um, of this yes. fictional character outside yes. the DH Out. Homes department store. It's yes. like a hotel yes. now, I yes. guess. Um, yes. It's a sloppy, uh, I, I'm quoting the description here, a sloppy, crazed-looking misanthrope with a shopping bag standing outside the hotel, quote, studying the crowd of people for signs of bad taste in dress. And, like, the statue is one of the weirder statues I've seen. Yes. It's incredibly disheveled, and I think he has one eye closed. Like, he's, he's like, eyeing you up. There's not a lot of characters like this. I know. Is this, is this like a funny book? It sounds like a funny book with all the penis jokes. Right. 12 inches. Right. Because of the 12 inches. Right. Hot dogs. Okay. So this is the thing. I'm not going to try, but this is absolutely hilarious. It is. It, there, is a, there is a tinge of tragedy because like he does keep screwing up, but it, it is it is thoroughly comic and he doesn't realize that like everyone thinks he's an idiot and a loser and he thinks he's great. He kind of sails off into the sunset as like over and over in this book. Yeah. And like things are <laughs> so good. Many sunsets. You know? He always, <laughs> good, he always like, I mean, he is that guy. And, and like, so the, the guy scribbling around on the ice can't like, won't fall down. He doesn't even realize he's almost falling down. He doesn't realize how mm-hmm. close he is to splitting his head open. He's just like, you know, just kind of hanging out. So this takes place in New Orleans. The, the, the novel the novel is set in New Orleans. It gives this really good kind of it's almost like a oh what's the word anthropological like catalog. He does this kind of anthropological like it's 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 an ethnography. This is like an ethnographic ethnographic like catalog. Great. What is that? <laughs> uh, it's just like, so like in ethnography, you know, a uh, scientist goes to uh, the dark, darkest Peru and takes a bunch of photographs and recordings sure. of a uh, previously uncontacted tribe. Yeah. John Kennedy tool is doing that for the neighborhoods and the street life of Louisiana in the 1960s. So this is so powerfully like, I don't know if it's accurate, but like it has has to be. It has to be accurate. Like <laughs> yeah. it's cl- like it's clearly. You know, you can tell the difference between like uh, a story uh, about a place written by a local as opposed to someone who just like kind of drove in and like saw the place for a couple hours. And he knows this place really well. He's a Nolan's native, so he like dialects. Um, mm-hmm. He actually like writes out how the dialects would sound. Uh, buildings, neighborhoods, characters, the kind of people you meet, subcultures, smells. This is a very smell filled book. It's a very odoriferous book. Can you give us an example? Just like garbage, like street garbage. Is that what? No, 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 no. He's, he's talking about this, this, um, this neighborhood where Ignatius and his mother live. And he talks about how like they, they go outside because they put too much garlic in their food and their whole, their whole room smells like garlic. And so they're like, Let's go outside because it won't smell like garlic out there. Put too much garlic in the food. They go outside and he's like, every house was cooking something Mediterranean. And the whole neighborhood was this kind of symphony, this weird symphony. Every house contributing some little note to the overall Mediterranean 
uh, uh, scent that was mm-hmm. kind of hanging over this neighborhood like a like a blanket. Um, he's just he's very interested in the way things sound and smell and and sort of look uh, sensory details. And so you get a very very I think clear view of what New Orleans would kind of what it would be like at this very specific point in time. So I guess my question is, so I, I tried to read this book when I was like, I don't know, 22 years old or something yeah. like that. And at the time I thought it was like, I, I didn't realize it had been written in 1980. Like I kind of thought like this had just gotten published at that point. Right. I don't understand. Like, why is this book a big deal? Like this book won yeah. the Pulitzer prize the year it came out. Like, why is yeah. that? Why is this a big deal? Because this quirky character goes around New Orleans and smells things. <laughs> Can I add some context here, please? That they apparently did a one-off show with Nick Offerman where he played this character. What did you know that? No, my <laughs> goodness, that sounds incredible. Stage show, aware. like a stage show. Yeah, it looks like this was probably seven to six years ago. Mm-hmm. He said that his diet for the role to get it a fighting weight uh, included <laughs> a salad of Wisconsin cheese curds, uh, turducken-fed pork, and other fatty foods. Yes, <laughs> I assume Five Guys is in there. Um, no, I'm sure. Since that's a, kind of a reoccurring joke in this episode, right, yeah, thank you. Um, it's a callback. It's a callback. Hey, thank you for Nick. Thank you for putting that recurring joke in this section of the podcast. You got it. So um, the reason the reason this is such a big deal and the reason that Nick Offerman would be attached to it, I think, is in part because of its sort of romantic publication history. Part of it is part of it is the great kind of ensemble cast. Um, These these characters are so by themselves, like I would read a novel about each of these separate characters. Uh, His mom is um, Ignatius. His mom is like this older lady who has cared for Ignatius all his life. And she's finally becoming emancipated because of bowling. Um, her friend, um, patrolman <laughs> because of bowling. I'm, I can't get into this. Okay. I don't have time okay. to get into all right. of this like, stuff. It's, it's the classic older lady story. Like she, yeah. she, she's emancipated through bowling. bowling. Um, yep. there is a policeman who keeps cropping up and his sergeant has it out for him. So the sergeant makes him wear different costumes and go around the city trying to catch perverts. Um, and the perverts all like clock him and then start laughing at him because he's always wearing different clothes. Um, and are you um, answering Joe's question? Yeah. So, so, the, so the answer is, <laughs> the answer like a big is deal to me. Say no more. <laughs> the answer is in part, the answer is in part, the great ensemble cast. Um, any of these characters are worth kind of our attention by themselves. There's also the matter of like, this is so of its moment it's so kind of like a like a moving moving picture, a sensory a sensory snapshot of New Orleans in this very specific time. And I think if it were not for the kind of circumstances of a, its publication, we might pay less attention to it. Uh, John uh, Kennedy Toole was um, uh, uh, New Orleans native, and he. Um, had a lot of the experiences he kind of he kind of bases this novel on himself and some of his friends like ignatius john kennedy tool went to college they went to grad school and he didn't quite fit in in college and he kind of came back to a world where he didn't really didn't really fit um he wrote this novel he tried to get this novel published nobody would publish it he gradually descended into depression and then in 1969 he ended his own life He's promising, like a promising career cut short. That's like, that's a classic. Like that's a, that's yeah. a winsome kind of feel. So just to understand the timeline here, that was, he died in 69. Yes. And the book was published in 1980. Hmm. Yeah. Because of his mom. Enter the persistent mother. Oh. So Ignatius, as you recall, has this mother. Ignatius has this mother and he has a strange relationship with this mother. Uh, she's, she's kind of, uh, you know, cares, cares about him too much. And, and he's doesn't really appreciate her tool bases this relationship off of his own relationship with his mother. After he died, his mom was like, well, I'm not going to let his literary legacy fail. And so she pestered various novelists and publishers for, I think, eight About years. 10 years. Eight sure. years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And finally, there's this there's this author that ended up kind of helping helping her. He 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 finally listened. His name was Walker Percy. Uh she she pestered Walker Percy, and Percy finally said, uh, like the unjust judge, fine, fine. I will 
I will read this just to get you off my back. And he says he was looking forward to dismissing it. And yeah. so he, she brings him the carbon copy. It's like smeared carbon copy oh, draft. <laughs> and he's like, Oh my goodness. And he was so excited. So excited to turn this thing down. He was like, yep. This Here is going to be go. garbage. I can't wait to just like justify my disinterest in this project. And he started reading and he couldn't put it down. Oh, and he's he like, like, oh, no, Dang now I have it. to do it. They got me. So uh, after a variety of things, kind of uh, hoops being jumped through, they had to like find a clean copy of this. We still don't have his original manuscript because it's, it's just gone because he died 11 years before the novel was published. It was published and um the, uh, a year later, it won the Pulitzer, 1981, published in 80, Pulitzer in 81, which is... Joe, maybe your mom can get us some sponsorship. <laughs> Plate, but persistent. <laughs> it's a pretty great... It's like, as far as as far as far publication history, I don't think that's why it won the Pulitzer. I think it won the Pulitzer because it's uh, it's hilarious and also poignant and very like yeah. uh, accurately drawn. Yeah. But also, it doesn't hurt that you got this amazing... And it's the only one he'll ever write. One hit wonder. He did publish another book, but he what? in his lifetime said it was crap. Don't read it. I don't like it. Oh, wow. <laughs> did he publish another book before he published yeah. this one? Or was that also yep. published posthumously? Yeah. Got it. Well, that's kind of a downer. Yeah. No, it's not. He achieved. He achieved. This is like on lists of like 100 best books ever. Wow. I mean, he killed himself at age 30. It's not super great, Ian. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But, but the book he achieved, I think so. So his life, like his adult life was characterized by sort of like, like, like he knew he was good and nobody would see it. And it, 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 best, best, best case, somebody, somebody recognizes his genius during his lifetime. But at least we now say, yeah, this is like, oh, a classic of American fiction. This is, this is incredible. So it's pretty good. I've never read a book like it. He's nasty. He's so gross. I'm going to need a little while before I can read it again. Um, but I will. Oh, like, like a now you're talking like a like a, a celestial body. He has a certain gravity and he attracts us back into his orbit. We cannot escape the pull of Ignatius P. Riley for too long. <laughs> Is that on the back? No, it's that's on my that's on my did you, that's did on you, my back on the back. That's on his. That's on my dome. That's on my dome. That's off of my dome. Tattooed. He shaved the back of his head. Yep. And it is tattooed there. It's on the back of the head. I'm committed to this show. Let me ask mm -hmm. you. This sounds like a profoundly loved uh, book. It like is. By basically all legendary comedians, including <laughs> John Candy, Chris Farley, uh, John Goodman. Wait, um, wait, wait. Is this just, is this a fat guy book? Is this book only guys. for fat guys? <laughs> <laughs> Most Def likes it. So. Oh, well, okay. Fair enough. If a book can actually be funny, I'm always interested. It's just very difficult. I, I laughed out loud in the first like chapter and that doesn't Do you mean really, LOL. I did. Well, I lolled. I, I ROTF LOL'd and I was a raffle copter. So. Wow. It's that's really incredible. good. One hundred. Is this going to be our last episode, or Ian? When Nick <laughs> called you drunk on Super Bowl Sunday all those years ago, and yep. um, put us on the first three-way call that I've been on since I uh, yep. had a yep. landline. Yep. Did you think this show would go to episode one hundred? To be frank, I didn't think we would ever record episode one. <laughs> so, Even one, yeah. Uh, I am. I am flummoxed. I'm delighted. Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember telling my wife when, um, you know, we had to get some recording equipment and things like that. And I was like kind of sour about it. And Megan's like, yeah. just get it. And I'm like, yeah. we're never going to record an episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was concerned about the same are. thing. And yet, well, it helped that there was a pandemic. You know, I'm thinking about the number 100 and I'm thinking about another number that's really important to us here at You Don't Know It. Right. And that number is five. Five guys. Right. Or five guys. Right. If you think about it, it's a little bit of math for you. That is over. That is about that is precisely 20 episodes per guy. Plus leap year. Then it all works out. Uh, yeah, you can't. Please don't forget leap year. Um, so what should we do? What should we do for what should we do for our, our hundredth episode? I was thinking about maybe inviting Conan O'Brien to just take over and just have our show. <laughs> right. Do some sort of takeover. Right. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of interest, but I I actually feel like we should keep it a, a surprise. 
Yeah. Oh, no teaser. Yeah. Like the no teaser. Just, yeah. just a cold drop. That's what Beyonce does. You know, when they, when the artists, the cool artists, mm-hmm. when they release yeah. uh, yeah. their uh, their albums these days, they don't like Time give it a heads up. They're no. like, it's Tuesday at 945. Guess right. what? New Beyonce's out. Yep. They don't do promotion. Let's let's go even further. Let's pull a right. U2 and make it go on everyone's... <laughs> We are in contact with Apple to try to get it automatically (laughs) downloaded to everybody's telephone. Leadheads, you heard it here first. If you buy an iPod shuffle this week, it will come preloaded with the episode 100 (laughs) of You Don't Know Led and nothing else. It'll just be that. That's on the shuffle, the shuffle mini. Um, So we'd like to thank Nance, uh, Joe's mom, for getting that done. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's keep it. Let's keep it a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, Next week, big surprise. Stay tuned. Interview with a Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. Yep, you got it. Starring. Starring. Well, well, no. Actors. Starring. I love it. I love your book. <laughs> that movie would not be nearly as sexy if it was an overweight white man with a mustache playing the um, the lead. Yeah, Nick. So um, I was looking for books about New Orleans. I was looking for books about Louisiana. I didn't have any that came to mind as believe it or not, kind of often happens with our state episodes. (laughs) Um, And then I saw that this book was written. I saw that this book was set in Louisiana. I saw that this book was set in um, largely New Orleans, Louisiana. And I thought, that's weird. A Louisiana (laughs) book with vampires. (laughs) (laughs) That is weird because I don't recall it being in Louisiana, although I haven't seen this movie in some time. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't ever think to myself, ah, yes. (laughs) <laughs> the, the uh, creepy backdrop mm-hmm. of Louisiana is where I, I envision the, this vampire story Levies. happening. Are any of them, are any of the characters, uh, as who should say, born on the bayou? Mm, well, actually, mm. one of them is born on a plantation. I actually don't totally know <laughs> which what a bayou was the first is. draft for Credence Clearwater. Yeah. At one point, they get rid of a body in a bayou, which makes me feel like it's just like uh, it's a, a wood chipper. A bayou is a kind of a wood chipper. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no, it's a it's a backwater of the uh, Mississippi River. Uh, usually it's got some kind of brackish water because um, of the uh, the ocean, too. There you go. It's brackish. brackish. Right, Nick, I read a book about vampires this week. It's also about Louisiana, but it is. I mean, let's be real. It is very, very. It's mostly largely, about vampires. It's yeah, mostly that's, about that's cool. Vampires. That's cool. Um, so, Joseph, uh, this is what I know so mm-hmm. far based on the movie that I've seen probably 10 years ago. Good. Once. Once, yeah. It's got very sexy vampires. Oh, Nick. If you... They're so if sexy. If there's one thing to know about this movie slash... I'm sure it's in the book, too, is their sexiness. Their sex. Uh, did It doesn't... The movie doesn't get into the, how they sparkle, though. Does the book? No, so they... Um, so we should probably establish the vampire rules right up front. Yeah, vampire right? Like, yeah. Hey, let's count them down. Vampire lore. Yeah. Yeah, ah, vampire ah, lore. Okay, ah, the vampires in this book, one. they sleep in coffins. One. Nick. They, they have to sleep in coffins. Um, they they have to eat every day, preferably people, right? Sounds like, like a preferably people. Wait, hold on now. Can yep. what else could they eat? They could sometimes they eat animals. Five guys. Uh, They'll eat on rats. Is there classic. is no mention of five guys. <laughs> okay. They have to eat every day, preferably people. One of the vampires has some like kind of moral revulsion to that, but so he'll eat like animals, but um but it's of not satisfying. He does. Yep, of course. Um there's gotta be one. They seem to be like, like they kind of have a stealth mode if they wish. Like if they want to go totally undetected by people, they have, they have stealth mode. Um, They cannot go in sunlight. Absolutely not. Okay. They tradition can look at crucifixes. So sunlight, no crucifix. No big deal. In fact, one of them even says that he kind of likes looking at them. Here's the thing. (laughs) I think from Anne Rice's point of view, like as the author, that's a really good kind of mechanical move. Because if you're going to say your vampires in Louisiana, you, I mean, famously yeah. Catholic, you cannot. Mm-hmm. Would you guys rather have the last name Rice or Tool? Which you had to pick. Joe Tool. Joe Rice. Joe Tool. Ooh, Joe Rice is nice. Joe Rice is all right. Yeah. I have students with the last name Rice, and it it, it flavors my uh, judgment a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah. so good students, I assume you mm-hmm. mean by that. Mm-hmm. Ian Ian O'Toole, you'd have to be, you'd get called O'Toole. Yeah, I really I, think I, I don't think Ha-ta-ta. either Ian Rice yeah, and Ian nice. Toole don't sound very good because my first name is it just doesn't it doesn't work. I don't yeah. know. 
Yeah. I would like to be called Ian Kennedy. Ian Kennedy would work. Ian Kennedy tool. No, that's not on the table. So uh, what are some other um, vampire parameters? Yeah. Ian five guys. (laughs) Ian five guys. See, there it is. There it is. My only other parameters is once you become a vampire, you do in fact live forever, (laughs) right? Like it is the blessing and the curse of vampirism. And uh, you are worth mentioning. You can be killed. Right. So like you live forever under natural circumstances, assuming that you eat and all those things. Um, however, you are real tough to kill. Um, not a lot okay. of mention of like wooden stakes and things like that, but a lot of like sunlight and fire. And uh, like at one point, one is poisoned mm. with absinthe, which which is maybe a thing. I had never heard that before. That, but, seems, yeah. that seems stupid. That doesn't. I, don't, <laughs> I, I was I was on board even with the crucifix thing until the poison with absinthe. Yeah, maybe it's like real absinthe where it's like, this is rotten. <laughs> this is yeah, it's maybe like it would poison anyone. So, Joe, I, I you're saying all this stuff and it sounds like Anne Rice is kind of playing by the book here. This does. I mean, even the sexiness. Right. So um, mm-hmm. uh, in in tell us about the sexiness yeah. in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, like he is very attractive to mm-hmm. both men and women. And like it's yeah. a huge part of it. So. I, I mean, this sounds largely cons- not conservative, but right. But like, what is she doing different? Yeah. So my book is about a boy. So, so my book starts because vampires, of course, live to get live forever. My book covers like 250 years. It set. It starts in 1700s Louisiana. Drop in um, the bucket on a plantation with a young, uh, like kind of wealthyish plantation owner whose brother dies. And when his brother dies, he's really sad. Like he he doesn't even want to live anymore. And this is the plantation owner, not the vampire. This is like the plantation owner's son, kind of right. So okay. like it's like two sons on a plantation. The dad is getting older, um, and the the younger son dies, and the older uh, son, okay. who's probably like in his twenties, in, in like the most attractive age you can be. Let's be real, twenties. Uh, 20s he decides like hey i don't don't want to live anymore i feel like the 30s are the better it's a better being 30 yeah it just keeps getting better and better for me guys uh (laughs) (laughs) he decides he doesn't want to live anymore and fortunately at that moment a vampire who's been keeping his eye on him comes out of the woodwork and is like hey Hey, i'd like to make you an offer i'm a vampire i have eternal life I can right. make you a vampire with eternal life, but I'm kind of poor because I'm kind of newer at being a vampire. Can you give Sweet. me your plantation? Like, like if okay. you give me your plantation, I will make you a vampire. And the guy's okay. like, great. But then the guy will Let's be, do then it. the guy will be poor. Why would he do that? Well, just, okay. The, lo- the, the logic from all directions is, it sounds <laughs> profoundly flawed. Keep going. <laughs> well, okay. So these two, enter, these two enter into a pact. Right. They basically like, hey, I'll okay. help you with the eternal life thing. You help me with the money thing. And it actually Why doesn't he rob a bank. OK, I think there's so, more to this. Is this more of a more of an intimate relationship he's looking well, for? Well, is he, okay. hey, can I buy you a drink? Is this what the vampire version? <laughs> Everything vampires do in this book feels really intimate. Like when they feed on people, it it's not inherently right. a sexual thing. But right. the descriptions of them feeding on people are erotic. <laughs> oh, okay. Please never say that again. <laughs> you know, you hit that mark. Yeah, I hated the way he said that word. Uh, Joe, is your book commentary on slavery? Uh, my book has slavery. And I don't know that it's necessarily commentary on it. However, um, so when it w- does it condemn slavery? Excuse me. It, 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 it just condemns slavery. It's like, oh, and then this is part of the culture. Well, anyway, vampires. Well, but I mean, it covers 250 years. It does start. There are slaves on the plantation, but then soon after they're they're you know, things get slightly better for them. How long did slavery last? Was it, I don't know, about 250 years? Yeah. If this is such a cool vampire, why doesn't he just go end slavery? Okay, that's <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay, so this guy makes him his, uh, makes him a vampire, right? And they're kind of linked together. When somebody makes you a vampire, like you are kind of bound to them. You kind of owe them the, like they've given you the gift of eternal life. You kind of owe them, but you're also like kind of beholden to them. And a lot of the drama that happens in this book is these two guys 
do not really get along. Like oh, the new no. guy, um, I, I guess I should give them names. The new guy is Lewis, and um, the guy who bites him is Lestat. The new guy, Lewis, he despises Lestat. He thinks like like being a vampire is kind of this honorable thing and you have a tremendous oh. responsibility to be a vampire and Lestat is like he's like gross and manipulative and like exerts his power in non-admirable ways and Louis okay. hates it and it's really where the drama in the first half of this book comes from is these two guys that are linked together with this bond and who increasingly kind of despise one another and that's that's pretty much the setup huh so it's these two chaps who hate each other that are bound together forever like why don't they just yeah I just i my, okay should i just get past the logic here of no no I'm, no no no. i think this I'm is legitimate curious. because the most obvious question is is why doesn't this guy just rob a bank and live yep. a nice life by himself why doesn't louis just leave <laughs> louis doesn't leave for two reasons the first reason is because there is some sort of like unspoken vampire bond like the person that becomes that makes you a vampire like you kind of are tied to them in a hand way is sort of way eh, not necessarily gotcha. him, best friends the second reason is louis doesn't really know how to be a vampire like we've talked about the vampire rules oh. right up top here but louis doesn't really know like how you can make another vampire he doesn't really know what will kill a vampire right lestat does know those things and won't tell louis either oh, no. won't tell him or can't tell Let's him it's, it's a little okay. bit so you can we're in a we're in a full-on abusive relationship oh here. it's <laughs> nick this is such an abusive relationship that at one point in this book about about um oh i don't know a quarter of the way through this book they're they're fighting the relationship isn't going well so they decide to make a young girl a vampire so that they have a daughter like they they oh, have a daughter no. to save Guys. the relationship. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you about the title because it sounds like we've gotten a lot of vampires, but not a lot of interviewing. And I was really excited right. for that kind of that mm-hmm. aspect, the more journalistic element of this story. <laughs> but I'm more interested yep. now in the question of like, okay, in Dracula, mm-hmm. um, the good guys are the people who are trying to murder Count Dracula yep. straight to death. Yep. In Twilight, I think we've come full circle to the point where there are some bad vampires, but there is one like basically kind of a main a main hero character, uh, Edward mm-hmm. Cullen. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, famously. Where does this fall on that spectrum? Like, are these are these uh, are these beautiful uh, but dreadful vampires? Uh, are main are they protagonists? Are they okay? Yep. Are they like so- the the antagonist threat? So this is a this is something that happens every once in a while when you read an older book where you're like, okay, I get it, I like it, but I don't understand why it's a big deal. Like I don't get why this book is famous, right? Like why why did this kick off this like incredible sensation? Did the movie make it famous? Well, the movie did make it famous, but the movie also came like quite a ways, like 20 years after the book, 30 years almost after the book. Like it's quite a ways later at this point. They had to wait until Antonio Banderas was sexy enough. Was just so good looking. <laughs> just like, right in his prime he's 20s. He's ready. <laughs> Get just me a joke. camera. The man is ready. Before Anne Rice, vampires were very much like of the Dracula ilk. So like if you wrote a vampire novel, it was gothic. It was a monster story and it was about hunting vampires, right? It was about vampires being antagonists. This book is the, I don't know if it's the first depiction, but, but certainly the first popular depiction of the vampires being super empathetic characters. So when we talk about Lestat, when we talk about like this douchey vampire, like he sucks, he's a villain, but Louis like is really admirable and likable, right? Like Mm. he doesn't want to eat people. Like he hates eating people and he only does it like so, so, so reluctantly. I I hate to do it. Yep. I hate to do it. I have to do it every (laughs) single day, but I really hate to do it. But like he eats like rats and things like that instead. Stop hitting yourself. (laughs) Um, Like the, the love that Louis feels for this daughter, like Lestat turns this girl into a vampire to like kind of save the relationship. But the love that Louis feels for her is like genuinely the love of a father to a daughter. He feels protective over her. He wants her to do well and wants her to grow and all these things so lestat is like he sucks but louis is a vampire hero and he's a vampire hero in a way that kicked off i mean you know this book is 1976 that's kicked off now 50 years of uh, how's my math on that right 50 years of like vampires being the good guys 
I uh, quickly did a search on if this book is commentary for slavery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the closest thing I could find is mm, maybe, but it's closer to like commentary on power, which, you know, in this time is Mm -hmm. is in that world. But yeah, basically said like this is the first book to have. (laughs) This is in quotes. Vampire ethics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which is, is kind of interesting. Is that I don't would, like that but, phrase. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's a huge part of the book. But like that is the tension for the first. I mean, it's it's a it's the tension through a ton of this book. Like a lot of the plot in this moves forward because like Louis believes that being a vampire should have some nobility to it should have some pride to it should have some class to it and he is confronted with other vampires not a lot of other vampires as the book goes on kind of more and more but he's confronted with other vampires who are bestial right like like who who are animals in the way that they behave and louis Mm -hmm. doesn't like it and he tries to live his vampire life in a more admirable way louis like can we have some class here some decorum please like come on yeah, we got this like massive power. Let's not. So super enjoyed this book. Didn't get a chance to talk a lot about Anne Rice. She has kind of a tragic story um, of her own. She drafted. Great. Yeah, I, I I won't say much about it, but um, she drafted this as a 30 page story initially as a member of like a creative writing program um, and had a daughter who died at four years old. So like while she was in this program, she had a daughter. Her daughter died. She sank into a deep depression and writing this book was one of the ways that um she kind of worked her way through it there's there's characters mm. in this book that are thought to be like allegories for her own dead daughter i mean, I mean yeah. probably the daughter yeah is finding a daughter? way to make your daughter live like a, make a young woman live forever to be your daughter is like liter- yeah. literary yeah. vampirism yeah. it feels on the nose yeah um, um, this is right there it, it, Came out to super mixed reviews, right? Like a lot of people call it like poetic and like sit rich in sensory imagery. But one review said, um, yeah, let's not pretend it has any purpose behind beyond suckling eroticism and rank hypocrisy. And like it's kind of all those things that we like about vampire books. Like it's like it's a little voyeuristic. It's like a little exciting. It's super sexy. It's also like a little it's a little what's erotic the, uh, at times. What's the what's the um what was the last word you there you said? Yeah, was, I said hypocrisy. I don't think you should yeah, ask me why? too many questions about that because I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> for the record, he also did say it. he snuck another erotic in there. Erotic. Don't think he I did. didn't hear you, Joe. Erotic. Oh, erotic. Is that the one you meant? <laughs> um, okay. Well, that sounds good. Is it good, Joe? Did you like it? Is yeah, it I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Super super good book. Um. Uh, a super good book. Also, I guess I should say on our Louisiana week, um, largely set in New Orleans, right? Starts in New Orleans, ends in New Orleans. They go to Europe for like a, a chunk of the book. Of course. Um, and, and New Orleans, one of the cool things about New Orleans in this book is they make it very clear that New Orleans is one of the only places on earth that a vampire could live and go undetected because of like the crazy melting pot, like the crazy cultural. Yes. I, like combination of things that is new orleans they're like yeah it's one of the only places where a vampire could walk the streets at night and somebody would see them and be like no seems fine yeah so here's the thing here's what i'm thinking like i like vampires so that's cool point yep hot dogs how do you feel about hot dogs Love them. Oh, very underrated. I'm right. so sick of the hot dog hate. Oh, yeah. Get out of here. Like all things in moderation, you know, suck down a hot dog once a year. It's not going to kill you. Have you guys ever had hot dogs cut open? So as a, as a dinner, hot dogs cut open down the middle, like cut in twain, covered with mashed potatoes with mustard put on top of them and then baked what? in the oven. What? Whoa. Okay. No, I, nobody's ever had nice. that joke because it's crazy. My <laughs> wife, my dear wife. Big listener to the show. <laughs> My dear wife showed me a picture of this yesterday and she said, did you have this meal all the time when you were a kid? And I looked at it. Her, her mother was making it like that night. And I was like, no, I wasn't. A, I didn't grow up in the streets. I didn't eat hot dogs and mashed potatoes. Hot but she insists mashed. that she loves it. Oh my God, it's a thing. Yeah, hot dogs, mashed potatoes covered in mustard. And then I think under a bronze hot dog boats. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> hot I'm dog sorry. Boats. 
I don't care. I think this sounds, maybe it's just that I'm ravenously hungry, but I think it sounds pretty good. Unbelievable. Potato stuffed hot dogs. That's what you can look up, Lidheads. Um, and so, but on uh, Ian's side, it sounds like his book is funny. And so funny always wins. So Joe, you lose. Oh, dang it. Um, All right. All right. L- congratulations, Ian. Uh, Lidheads, if you want to help support the show, the best thing you can do is head on over to you don't know lit podcast.com. Suggest a book, suggest a theme. Uh, we get to them all and we, we love reading them. It helps kind of steer the direction of the show. You could follow us on social media. We are um, everywhere that you would want to be. Nick has started writing some fan fiction about. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to follow him on, over on Wattpad um, yeah. and, and follow and follow Nick of the night, uh, that's that's going to be where you can see him. The reason Nick um, is is just um, dumbfounded not talking is because he he knows we've clocked him, and he mm-hmm. is. I think he's frantically deleting things. It looks like. Yep, he's he is clicking. He's clicking. His clicking fingers are. I'm on LinkedIn. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You can also follow Nick on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> give him a recommendation. He'll recommend you back. And congratulations, Ian. Um, Ignatius P. Riley. Congratulations, John Kennedy Tool. Congratulations, Ignatius P. Riley. The rich get richer. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna read you, I'm gonna read you a description of uh of uh New Orleans from the perspective of Ignatius Riley, who is um judgmental. So the 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 story begins with him standing outside the, the department store looking around for people who have bad taste uh eagerly. And a policeman bumps into him. This is the same policeman who has to dress up in costumes and stuff. It's it's our first greeting meeting with him. And the policeman tries to accost him and and, um, Ignatius just brushes him off. The policeman drew back a little. Are you local? Is it the part of the police department to harass me when this city is a flagrant vice capital of the civilized world? Ignatius bellowed over the crowd in front of the store. This city is famous for its gamblers, prostitutes, exhibitionists, antichrists, alcoholics, sodomites, drug addicts, fetishists, onanists, pornographers, frauds, jades, litterbugs, and lesbians, all of whom are only too well protected by graft. If you have a moment, I shall endeavor to discuss the crime problem with you, but don't make the mistake of bothering me. 